to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we'll be joined by Todd Bergen-Hennigowen, Dr. Andrew Morrison and Dr. Wilma Shankles to discuss emergency preparedness for livestock. Todd is the resource development lead with the Animal Health Emergency Management Project, a federally funded project that aims to better prepare the Canadian livestock sector for disease-related emergencies. He has been a member of the AHEM team since its creation in 2017. Todd's focus has been working with provincial and national livestock associations in developing emergency response materials for producers and producer organizations. In addition to Todd's work with the AHEM project and as a consultant with Seracon, he farms mixed irrigated crops in Southern Alberta. Andrew is a graduate of the Veterinary College of Ireland and has 15 years of mixed practice in Nova Scotia before joining the provincial government in 2019 as the Department of Environment and Climate Change Farm Animal Welfare Veterinarian. He participates on several working groups involved in foreign animal disease and business interruption planning. Additionally, he serves in the Canadian Army Reserve, where he has been trained and participates in emergency management. Wilma is the Chief Veterinary Officer for the province of Nova Scotia. She developed her love for agriculture growing up on a dairy farm near Miramichi, New Brunswick. Wilma attended the Nova Scotia Agricultural College, followed by the Atlantic Veterinary College. She joined the Department of Agriculture following 25 years in private practice, the majority of which was large animal veterinarian with Fundy Veterinarians Limited based out of Truro, Nova Scotia. So Todd, Wilma, Andrew, thanks for being with us here today on Maritime AgCast. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks very much. Hey everyone, good to be here. Let's start at a very high level. What are some of the emergencies that farmers in the farming community should be thinking about? Maybe we'll start with you, Todd. Yeah, there's a, there's a number of emergencies that we should be prepared for. Serious animal diseases are one that come to mind, and that's something that you know I've been focusing on in the last few years of, of my career here, working as part of the AHIM project. But you know that doesn't leave out other types of disasters, um, such as environmental emergencies that can happen, floods, fires, ice storms. But also, as we've learned over the last you know, year and a half here, is that uh, human pandemics can have an impact on uh, the livestock sector as well. So there's a, a variety of different type of emergencies that farms should be aware of, and that can have uh, quite long lasting impacts to the industry. So when we think about natural disasters versus a disease outbreak, are there different ways in approaching and preparing for those types of emergencies? You know, I think there's a lot of ways that you can prepare for them specifically, but there's a, there's a lot of items you can do that would prepare you for any type of an emergency. So, I, I mean, when you think about having an emergency contacts list, I mean, that's something that would be useful in both types of disasters, uh, whether it be a natural emergency or, or, or a, a serious animal disease outbreak. Um, something of that nature is applicable in a lot of different situations. So there are some that, you know, could be more specific to the type of disaster, but no doubt there's many types of preparation that can be uh, translated across multiple types of emergencies. 
Brad, I just add to that, that sometimes we think about what the cause was. Was it a fire? Was it an animal disease? But, but sometimes you just have to think about what's the result. If your feed is gone, whether it's flood, fire, supplier interruption, drought, your feed's still gone. So what are you going to do about it? What's your plan for if you've lost feed, you've lost power, you've lost water? And, and the cause sometimes in those cases doesn't matter as much. Now, other things, you know, where you've got a foreign animal disease, yeah, the cause does matter because it may not just be you now, it's the greater community. There's international consequences. There, there's a lot of other factors to, to put in there and as well as what do we do with diseased animals? So it, it can be quite complex, but if you start off by thinking with, what am I going to do if I lose something that's critical to me? It doesn't really matter what caused it. So Dr. Morrison, you, you'd brought up the animal disease, and that's, I think, generally where a lot of our heads go when we think about emergency response. How do we, as farmers, monitor for animal diseases? How do we identify them? What's the, what's the best practice on farm and, and working with our veterinarian? You got the first one right there. It's working with your veterinarian. You know, they will have a, a customized solution for, for you and your industry. And that open discussion is, is always useful. Keep a pulse on what's going on, not just in your own backyard, but nationally and internationally. You know, uh, African swine fever has been a topic that's been, been quite prevalent recently. And though it's not really a North American problem yet, we can track it in the rest of the world and see what, what's going on there. Something to maybe think about too, is that if your barn becomes one that's infected, there's a whole lot of protocols to, that come in place at, at a national level. But you might be outside that zone, but you're still impacted. You may have welfare issues because your animals are no longer able to go to market or move on to the next barn. So through no fault of your own, through nothing you've done wrong, you're now in, in a difficult position. And of course, one thing we always have to do is prevention. Good biosecurity stops before an animal disease from getting in in the first place. And, and everybody's got a part to play with that. I think uh, Dr. Morrison's had a very good point there. Part of uh, emergency preparedness is preparing to keep diseases and to keep problems out of our farms. And, and good biosecurity is really the key to that and, and a critical part of emergency preparedness. I guess it just underlies the, the point that the best emergency is the one you don't have. For sure. We, when we think about emergency preparedness, I, I kind of parallel it to insurances it's everything you need to have in place for if something goes wrong, but you're always hoping that you never have to make an insurance claim or you never actually have to dig out your emergency response binder or, or plan. And doing whatever we can to prevent that is time and energy well spent for sure. And just as Dr. Morrison had stated earlier, having that familiarity with what is currently out there in the livestock climate to the environment and being aware of what to look for is important because as we've learned and then through some of the conversations I've had across the country, early detection is key. If we can detect those diseases early on and take the necessary action to limit further spread, that can significantly reduce the, the magnitude of that response that we need to, to take. So that can't be highlighted enough of just how important it is to have that early detection piece and being in contact with your veterinarian so that you guys can get a handle on that early on. And don't be afraid to reach out. If, if something's happening on the farm that's not normal, pick up the phone, have a conversation with your veterinarian. They'll be able to flag whether it's something that is worthy of follow-up and, and they may bring in another expert, perhaps CFIA veterinarian to help confirm. And you know what, they would rather come in early and confirm there's nothing there than come in late when there is something there. At a national level, it's important sometimes to have negative tests. Countries rely on having a certain number of negative tests to keep a, a disease-free status. So 
sometimes it's useful to participate in studies and, and other testing where we can show to the world that we've done a certain number of tests and we haven't found a disease. Being a participant in that can certainly help the, the industry at a national level. So one of the things I, I'd like to touch on maybe a little bit more is the reason why we prepare. So it's easy to say, yeah, I've got a plan. If something happens, you know, my neighbor has a generator I can borrow or, or something like that. But what detail should we have in a plan, both at the farm level, uh, as well as an industry level, as far as why we should be preparing and how we actually go about preparing? Yeah, and I, I can start the conversation on that. I mean, why should we prepare? I mean, as we've learned through a number of different types of emergencies, whether disease-related or pandemic-related, some of these emergencies can have quite profound impacts on the livestock sector, the animal welfare, on the livestock economy. And so being prepared for that and, and being able to respond quickly is, is, is critical. And the one example I always tend to use and, and go to is the avian influenza outbreaks that occurred out west in, in BC. Um, I remember listening to a presentation from Dr. Jane Pritchard, who is the CVO of that province, and, and she just had indicated the difference between the two outbreaks of avian influenza in 2004 and 2014, and the amount of work that went into preparing for that next outbreak and how that actually had impacted the size of that disease outbreak. It had a really positive impact on how they were able to respond to that disease and reduce the magnitude of the of the spread. And so, you know, that just hits home to me saying, you know, this is why we should prepare, because even if we do get it, we can make, minimize the impacts of that outbreak. And it's worthwhile challenging your plan too. So, you know, you mentioned borrowing a generator from your neighbor, which is great when it's only your farm that's affected. <clears throat> but let's say the your neighbor is also using his generator, then what do you do? You know, if you look at the advice given to the human population, you have to be prepared to be on your own for 72 hours. That's the time it takes for provincial and national agencies to, to start getting their response in. So what are you going to do for 72 hours if you, know, you can't milk your cows or your feed's gone or you know the hurricane's just blown through and, and everybody is, is facing the same problems you are? have to think about it, at least if you've got a plan, you can adapt it. If you don't have a plan, you've got nothing. I think as we go through these plans, we also have to think about, you know, what happens if you're not there to make those decisions. You know, there are a lot of people that are less connected to your farm than what you are, that don't know the ins and outs of your farm, how everything operates on your farm. So it's very important to have a plan in place that can quickly orient the, these people to your farm and to your, your workflow on your farm and to make them understand all the unique factors on your farm. So putting all this in into a plan makes it a lot easier for emergency people to respond to the situation on your farm. Another thing to maybe think about too is that by having a plan, it can actually be a benefit to your own mental health. These events can be quite stressful. And if you're starting off with nothing, it's quite easy to get into a very dark place. But if you've got a plan, it can give you that place to start, which helps you and your family get through the next you know, period of time. I think ultimately our goal of these emergency response plans is to enable us to get back to normal as quickly as possible. And so the more we have in a plan, the, the, the quicker we are able to react and respond and the quicker we are able to return things to normal on our farms. The process of going through the plan can also highlight areas where if you have a solution early or before the event, um, it can be easier. For example, if you have to switch your animals from one slaughter facility to another, maybe the equipment's different in, in that second plant. And, and if you know how you're gonna do that conversion ahead of time, 
then it saves several days of, of planning once emergency hits. So in Nova Scotia here, we've been very fortunate to work with Todd's group under the AHEM project to draft a very high level emergency response plan for the beef, sheep and pork sectors here. And over the last year or so, we've been working very closely with Dr. Morrison and Dr. Shankles and some other folks here in the province on a more detailed plan for an actual depopulation of hogs, if there were a need to based on African swine fever, for example. Can we maybe just talk a little bit about how we work and we as industry stakeholders or industry leaders can work on behalf of producers and how we actually get producers to engage in the preparing process. And I think that's the part that I've maybe found the most challenging is, you know, emergency preparedness and response is maybe not the most fancy or shiny topic when you're talking to farmers. So how do we get them excited and how do we engage them in that process? Because ultimately it's going to affect their business a lot more than it's going to affect mine, for example. Yeah, I think, you know, the approach we've taken, at least as part of our project has been, you know, just understanding what the risk is to your industry. What are the impacts that it could have to your farm operation, to your provincial association and your neighbor's farms? You know, how would it impact trade and how could that have implications to your farm? So that's that's the approach that we've tend to take is just understanding how your farm could be impacted and that generates that level of interest and starts that thought process on farm of, okay, well, if if that's going to happen, okay, well, you know, how am I going to get my feed all of a sudden, right? You know, how am I going to deliver my animals and kind of just starts jogging your, your mind through that process. And I think that in itself generates that interest that you need in order to uh, discuss some of these topics and start doing some of that planning and preparation. You can even just ask yourself the question, if tomorrow morning I can't farm, what am I going to do about it? You know, a lot of folks have already done some planning because they may have put a generator in place in case the power goes down. But what if another critical piece of the farm stops? Fire just went through the equipment barn and you've lost all your tractors. What do you do? And just sit down over a beer and, and think about that and you know, start to come up with some ideas. And that should usually, you know, when your income and your livelihood and, and your, your passion is threatened, that should get you interested. And I think this past year has kind of shown us how easily and how many things can really influence our markets and our access to these markets and where our livestock goes. So, you know, I think we've seen in the past year that, that there are a lot of things that can impact us and do impact us very quickly. And we need to be prepared for those things. And so recognizing these things that, that can affect us and how many possibilities there are out there, you know, it, it is good to have a plan in place because anything can pop up at any point in time. Yeah, I know for my non-farming friends, I think the COVID pandemic is really educated a lot of them on why in in the livestock sector in particular, we're so focused on disease management because you see how markets get interrupted, how movements get ceased, how we do contact tracing. I think it's made many more outside of agriculture aware of the importance of all of those things that we talk about on a daily basis, right? Biosecurity traceability. It's real for the entire population now. And expand that to maybe labor. I mean, labor is getting scarcer and scarcer and it's hitting a lot of other industries. How do you cope if, if the people aren't there to do the work on the farm? Whether it's through you know, a COVID outbreak or uh, a change in labor conditions or, or now even the housing markets are, are having impacts on, on rural populations. So a lot of factors that are bigger than farming that can still hit us. 
I think one of the things we've also learned as we've kind of worked towards our second tier of emergency response plan for the pork sector here in Nova Scotia is the incredible amount of resources that are needed. And I'm talking people resources, I'm talking financial resources, talking infrastructure, trucks, disposal sites. One of the questions that we talked about early on is how do we fund this? That's a big one. But I think even more so, and, and Dr. Morrison, you brought it up a couple of times, it's the people that we need to manage the entire emergency response and, you know, in a depopulation situation to manage that depopulation. And that's not something that everybody's cut out to do. So how do we manage that as part of the planning process to make sure that we have adequate resources to be able to manage the response itself? Well, as you said, Brad, it's planning for it. It's, it's sit down, have a, a tabletop exercise, for example, and walk yourself through it and say, where are the people coming from? Who am I relying on? Is that actually accurate to rely on those folks? Under certain circumstances, you can rely on them, but at other times, you can't. Some external factors take them away. So then what do I do? You've got issues with, for example, trucking was one thing you brought up. Well, what if we can't move you know, the herds because of the nature of, let's say, a disease outbreak? You just don't want to spread it around the province. So now you have to have a very localized solution that maybe you weren't prepared for. Do you have the land for disposal? We've talked previously about just the mental health impact. I mean, asking a farmer to slaughter his whole herd is devastating. So is that the right person? Maybe, maybe not. So you need to have the supports in beforehand. You need to have those discussions before it happens. If you're not prepared, then you'll have a much bigger bill to deal with at the end of the day. But you've got to, to look at every step in the plan and think, is that reasonable? Does it work? If I do this, great. If I can't do that, then what's my other step? Yeah, and I think... Tabletop exercises are a great way of thinking through a lot of those scenarios, but to go one step further, you know, actually executing some of those simulations on farm, you know, not necessarily carrying out the procedure, but actually doing the steps by step and seeing where some of those pinch points are, or, you know, all of a sudden, well, we were going to have 10 people to do this, but now we have 10 other farms. And so now we don't have 10 people to do that anymore. Right. So realizing where those resources would be in a given scenario and actually identifying some of those issues, you know, I think brings some of the, the hardships of that to light. You know, you start to realize what your limitations are quickly and then you can begin addressing those things. A good example might be in the poultry industry where there are catchers and transporters who move from farm to farm in a sequence. It's scheduled and on rotation, which is great until the schedule is broken, where you need those few people, those few resources in every barn at the same time. And then what do you do? You got to think of what happens when the abnormal is, is on your doorstep. That's why it's very important for each farm to have their own plan, but to recognize what the resources are on the whole. And, and that's kind of the industry's role in there too, to see what the resources are for the whole entire industry and to have a plan that can integrate all of that together and to kind of divvy it up as needed, where needed, and to, and to come up with a plan that suits for the whole industry and to provide some kind of sequential order and to allow things to, to happen in a timely fashion. And that often means thinking about what things are, are important and putting in my priority. What do I have to fix first? What can wait till later? And then I think, Brad, I mean, you, you've discussed this with me as well, but having the capacity for some of these things, 
the Nova Scotian pork sector has done some work on, you know, what do we need in case we need to deal with the mass disposal, right? And having the capacity, um, whether it be equipment or um, the necessary infrastructure or the human resource to actually carry out the procedure. And so um, by, by thinking about those things in advance, you know, you're, you're in a much better place um, when you actually need to, to carry out that procedure. It's probably also worthwhile. I mean, we mentioned the the individual farmer's responsibility to himself, and and how industry um, can work with all farmers. Um, but also look at other agencies. You know, it's sometimes worthwhile having a chat with, you know, the local fire department. If you had a fire, what would their response look like, and what would they need from you? Or if there is a more regional disaster, talk with you know the emergency management organization in in your county or your municipality, and invite them into the process so they understand what your needs are and, and that you can better understand how they can respond. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's one of the things that when we first started with the AHEM group back in 2016, I think, or 17, Todd, when we first started our, our first round of development of a plan uh, is actually how complex and how many people all feed into that decision-making process on a larger scale emergency response, uh, whether it's uh, province-wide, a natural disaster or a very big geography natural disaster or or a disease response and I, I think I was pretty ignorant to, to you know how complex and how many agencies and how many in, individuals are prepared and then even further to that just completing my ICS training earlier this year and you know being more familiar with that entire system you know that it's not it's it's very streamlined it's very regimental and it's that way for a reason um, because if it's not, chaos will ensue. And I know, Dr. Morrison, that's one of the things that early on in our most recent second phase of our response that um, you brought up early on and, and pushed a lot of us as industry leaders to do ICS training uh, and to be more familiar with that type of command system versus just getting around and getting on the, the phone to try to make decisions. If you know how the, the first responders are operating, then you can integrate with them more easily and, and you'll be more effective. Um, so, I mean, it's worthwhile knowing how your local ICS works. I mean, your fire department uses it all the time. Um, EHS uses it. So, so it's something that, that's good to know. But you know, related to that too is, is understanding as well, uh, a lot of people keep asking um, who's gonna pay for this? And, and you know, initially, guess what? You know, it's on the farmer. You know, any government program is likely going to be after the fact. So are you ready to put out a bit of money up front to get things underway and then keep your receipts and, and put them out um, to some sort of program afterwards? Yeah, and that definitely links back to, you know, that overall resources, because, you know, one of the things that we haven't even or that we didn't consider early on, uh, even as an industry organization, well, if there aren't any hogs going to market and our primary source of revenue is levy based on hogs going to market, you know, that puts a big hole in even the financial resources that we have to A, operate or B, continue to support the industry as a whole. And when you start looking at the entire picture, that changes everything significantly, especially for small organizations like we have here in Nova Scotia and the Maritimes. And, you know, I don't think there's any rich commodity organizations across the country. And, you know, that resource and retained earnings would dry up pretty quick in, in an extended emergency response. And I guess there's a, a kind of a responsibility of each farmer to have their own 
I guess, line of credit arranged to, to get them started, knowing that you know, they're not gonna be left holding that bag for a long time, but they will have to hold it for, for a little while. Most of the, you know, the provincial and federal programs take weeks to months to, to sometimes even years before you'll see a net check from them. So how do you navigate that? And it's not only how do you support your neighbor, but how do you support your industry and how do you support your province? And another you know, way of looking at that too is, is, is a, you know, assessing your level of insurance on your farm and what your insurance covers because you know, certain natural disasters would be covered under your existing insurance policy um, and other types of things might not. You know, perhaps disease outbreak isn't. But by identifying what you have coverage for and what you don't, then maybe you can look at it and say, okay, well, if this is my risk and this is my exposure, you know, is there a way that we can get coverage for that? And that's something I know that the poultry sector has done. You know, they've identified some of those, uh, you know, the diseases that they're at exposure to, um, and they found ways of pooling together to get insurance for uh, the coverage of that particular disease. So um, by identifying where those gaps are in, in your coverage, you can, you know, look at alternatives for, for getting coverage in case you might need it. Yeah, Todd, that, that's a really good point. And one of the things we focus on a lot here in the office uh, is farm management and business risk management. And one of the things I find, especially with livestock producers, uh, is their form of business risk management often stops at the agri suite of programs. So either agri-invest or agri-stability. And, you know, agri-recovery is a bit more high level and for industry, but there are other things, like you say, like private insurance, market diversification uh, that are forms of business risk management that can help you navigate uh, your way through some sort of emergency response. And it kind of brings me to my next question is, you know, how important is it for accurate on-farm records in responding to a major emergency, whether it's inventory records or financial records, Dr. Morrison, you had brought up, the cost is going to be borne by the producer and then there may at some point in the future be compensation. So how does that whole farm management bit fit in with the emergency response plan on farm as well? To go with the insurance example, if you're going to make it a claim on your insurance, you need to be able to document what you're claiming. You know, did you have 2,000 bales of hay in that, in that barn or just 200? How do you prove that to, to the insurance folks since it's all gone up in smoke? So knowing what you've got, is, is definitely part of that. You, you can't claim for something you can't prove, whether it's you know, a government program or, or a private insurance or, or something else. In the uh, sessions that I've been a part of, I, I've never met a below average farmer. You know, every, every farmer is an above average farmer. And so, you know, when it comes to, you know, looking for coverage for the livestock you have or, you know, the supplies you might have, okay, well, let's justify that, you know, prove to me that you have, you know, an above average farm. Okay. You know, what are the, what are your bloodlines? You know, what have they, how have they produced? If you're talking about dairy, you know, do you have milk records by the, you know, the, the animals that you have, you, you got to provide some type of evidence to justify the, what your operation is capable of doing. And so if you have those records, there available and ready to go, then it's that much easier to, uh, to make that justification. I know it's tempting at the end of a long day to just say, oh, I'll get to those, those records tomorrow or maybe the weekend, but uh, that'll catch up at the end time. Well, one of the things that we talk about quite a bit, uh, especially over the last year or so, is 
working closely with your veterinarian and having a valid DCPR and, you know, how can the veterinary community uh, participate or, or work with producers on the preparing side for the emergency outside of just the monitoring and disease recognition or identification? I think that's one of the huge benefits of having a good relationship with your veterinarian. If you have that good vet client patient relationship, the veterinarian knows your farm, knows how things work on your farm, knows, you know, kind of what you need, what to respond to respond to emergencies. The veterinarian also has a pretty good handle on the industry in the local area. And so they can point out a lot of resources that you may not be aware of and maybe how to integrate those resources and to work on different farms. And, you know, we often see veterinarians involved in farm emergencies that are not disease related. Um, you know, they, they're just part of your farm operation and, and they certainly can help you work through a lot of things. You know, it's knowing how your operation works and knowing what your operation needs to keep working. And that's where they really fit in. I mean, you think of emergency preparedness as a form of preventative medicine, right? We're trying to prevent welfare problems and health problems um, by being ready for emergencies. So, you know, your vet can have valuable input. They may not have all the answers, but they'll certainly have a good conversation with you. When we talk about capacity in, in the case of a crisis, I mean, they're another level of, of, of capacity there to help that farmer through, you know, if you've got a really good relationship with your veterinarian, um, you know, quite likely they'll stand beside you, you know, through that process and, and give you a helping hand um, to, to help, you know, navigate the process, uh, such as a disease uh, outbreak, you know, they can help you navigate through some of those steps, um, you know, that maybe CFIA or the province might be, you know, asking some of their requests that might be coming from them. You could also discuss with your vet, you know, how would they respond when they have multiple farms to attend to at the same time? And so if you understand how that's going to work, then you're better prepared for what could be you know, a delay of several hours to maybe even a day or two before they can actually attend on farm. And, and maybe between you and your vet, you can set up some, um, some protocols for that. You know, often these emergencies, you know, if they're weather related and stuff too, it's how does the vet get to my farm in an emergency situation? You know, if it, we've got you know, a meter of snow, it's pretty hard for the vet to get there. But, you know, lots of times they can talk you through situations and stuff as well. So, you know, that that's often part of the situation too. So we've touched just uh, briefly a couple of times now on some of the great work that uh, the AHEM group, you know, Todd and, and your group have done with organizations like Pork Nova Scotia and the cattle producers and sheep producers. So we, we definitely encourage all the producers to check out those association websites and see the industry level plan. But once they review that, what are some of the things that either materials or SOPs that, you know, if you could pick one or two things that every farmer should be doing to prepare for an emergency, whether it's a disease or a natural disaster, what would those be? I think some of the, the key ones that I'd like to point out or, or ones that we, we typically address are, you know, having a contacts list, um, you know, what's the contact information for the owner, you know, maybe there's a secondary decision maker, you know, that your veterinarian, perhaps your feed suppliers, 
um, having some of those included as a contact list, especially, you know, as we discussed is, you know, it might not always be the owner that's responding to this, this situation, right? Your, your staff and, and those uh, that also um, work on the operation should be aware of, of who to contact in case there is an event. Um, the other one in terms of an SOP, Brad, um, and this is something that's included as part of our, our producer handbooks is what to do when you notice an unusual animal health event on your farm. And so in there, you'll notice there's a, a, um, an SOP called an unusual animal health event indicator and response. Um, and really what that does is, you know, what are you noticing on farm? Are you noticing it across a number of livestock in different pens, um, perhaps in different barns? And if you are noticing something that is unusual on your farm, what should you do? What are the steps that you should take? And so having some of those SOPs, you know, posted prominently in your barn or in a place that's easily accessible um, makes it easy for you and your staff uh, to be able to act accordingly in those cases that you are noticing something unusual. And I'd add to that, you know, think about putting things in priority. What, what do the animals need first? Well, air obviously is one of the first things, you know, so if you have a ventilation shutdown or, you know, forest fire smoke coming in, how do you deal with that? You know, after air, then you need water. So what happens if you've lost your water supply or it's tainted? After that, then you're getting into feed and, and shelter. So, you know, put it in those sort of what's critical to the life of, and welfare of my animals. One thing that's kind of critical for every farm to have, regardless of the type of emergency as well, is, is a farm plan that can certainly help to guide the emergency personnel on your farm, tell them where they need to go, you know, in a disease situation, it can help where can we isolate animals, where can we, you know, where can we put them, um, all those things, you know, if there's a good idea of what is on your farm, it really helps the emergency personnel in all scenarios, respond to the emergency on your farm. Part of that is making sure you've got your civic address well posted so they can find you, that you maybe have designated parking areas um, for visitors so that they're not getting in your way. And you, know, you can invite folks like the, the fire department to come out and take a walk around so that they've actually visited your place before there's an emergency uh, and, and they know the layout a little bit better and they know some of the, the ins and outs. Yeah, I think a, a farm map and whether that be something sketched out on paper, I mean, we have a, a grid included as part of those producer handbooks that's available for producers to fill in it by hand, or whether it be something using, you know, a Google Maps, an overview of your farm, and then, you know, with some drawings on it of, you know, this is where this is located. Um, because, you know, knowing where the feed stack is, where the straw straw bale stack is, you know, where the fuel is stored, you know, those types of things are important for first responders to know in any type of an emergency, because those are things that, you know, can potentially cause greater danger to the, uh, to a situation um, such as a fire or a flood. And part of that is please don't store your fuel near the animals or your forage. Another really helpful thing to have in emergency situations is some kind of a work cycle uh, plan that, you know, lets people know what, what is your daily operation? What do things look like? Where are things, you know, how do I usually run the day? Just so you can kind of try to keep things and get things back to normal as quickly as possible. And, and to have, you know, a list of the inventory and the people, both people and equipment that can help on the farm and help in the emergency situation. So having, having those lists is, is really helpful. And I know, Brad, you only wanted, you know, two to three examples, but I'm going to give you four and five here. 
you know, having a visitor log and, and, and it just brought prompted me now is, is having a visitor log uh, is is critical in, uh, you know, in a disease outbreak situation, knowing who has been on farm and off of farm in the last, you know, it could be up to a month or, or even a little longer, um, who's been on your operation. Because a lot of times we are unaware of, of who's been on our farm and who hasn't. Because, I mean, you think about you'll have, uh, you know, service providers that do your Internet that might have been on your farm and you might have completely forgot about them. So, um, you know, if there was a, a disease outbreak that had occurred, um, you know, your provincial uh, veterinarians and uh, the CFIA, that would be one of the very first things they'd be asking from that premises. Uh, you know, who's been on the farm, what livestock and livestock related products have been brought on or off. Um, in the last, you know, month or, or, or longer. Part of that too is to have a, a good think about who should be on the farm in the first place. Like not everybody needs to be there. And that's certainly one example where you can see why having that written down ahead of time makes life much easier. If you have to go back and remember all the people that have been in your farm, it's quite a bit more difficult than having just, here's the book. So we've done a lot of work here provincially and, and nationally around emergency preparedness and response. So what resources are out there for producers uh, to start thinking about, first of all, their on-farm emergency preparedness and secondarily, how they fit in with some of those province-wide or, or national emergency response plans? Yeah, I, I can start on that one. And I'm a little bit biased because that's really what I've been working on over the last, I guess, four or five years now is developing these emergency preparedness resources. You know, there's a there's a variety of those things that can be prepared. And we've developed a, a producer handbook that holds a lot of those types of emergency preparedness resources and and protocols. Um, and those are all, for the record, just available if you uh, if you go to the internet uh, at animalhealth.ca you can find all of the resources that our AHEM project has developed. Um, those are all available there. So there's there's a variety there and, and we continue to develop them as we uh, continue on. But in addition to the ones that uh, AHEM has provided, there are um, you know, numerous other uh, resources available uh, from government and uh, you know, both provincially and federally uh, available to producers. You know, things that stick out in my mind are you know, biosecurity standards that are, that are available. Um, you know, that's a great one of, of protecting farms from things entering on. So, um, you know, the biosecurity standards that are out there are a great way of preventing disease from entering your, your farm premise. Just to add, too, that, you know, the industry associations themselves are usually a great resource because they're plugged into, you know, the bigger communities and, and will understand what's out there and, and usually have you know, links with the insurance industry as well as with government. So it should be a good, a good place to go. And certainly other resources are, you know, your local fire department, um, you know, your local EMO office, your municipal EMO office, they can help you with some of that emergency planning stuff as well and some of the resources that you need to have. And of course, as we said earlier, you know, your veterinarian um, is also a great resource too. Well, with that, folks, I want to thank you all very much for your time today. I look forward to working with you in the future on some workshops and some further planning for the livestock sector here in the region. Uh, and if people are looking to get a, a hold of you or find out more about uh, your division within the department or with the AHEM group, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, no, I can be uh, reached by email. Um, if, you get, if you're ever interested in reaching out to us, uh, feel free to visit our website at animalhealth.ca. 
Um, our contact information is available there. You know, we're really thankful for this opportunity to speak with the with you, Brad, and, and the group, and and those out there listening. Um, you know, we're we're looking for opportunities to share some information we're working on, and really, our goal is to better prepare the the Canadian livestock sector for you know a, a disease outbreak scenario. So, um, you know, we're we're happy to to work with groups that are out there that are interested in in better preparing themselves. So, um, feel free to get in contact with us through uh, animalhealth.ca. Yeah, and you can uh, reach out to the Farm Animal Welfare Program uh, through our email, which is fawprogram at novascotia.ca. And uh, for me, I'm the Chief Veterinary Officer for Nova Scotia, so you can just uh, Google that and you will get in touch with me or through the government website at the uh, Nova Scotia Animal Health Lab. Excellent, folks. Thanks very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Brad. Thanks very much. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Agcast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of archesaudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes. Oh,